Welcome to Quiet Screams, a podcast where we dig into your most horrid fears by exploring the depths of the horror genre of filmmaking. I am Alex Vincent, your host, and with me today is also Alex. Hey, glad to be here. Great to have you. So, tell me, before we get into our movie today, which is Hereditary, what is your relationship with the horror genre? Good question. I am the person who other people ask to watch horror movies with them, and I'm usually very willing. I don't often go seek them out, I would say, uh, but I appreciate them, and I, I would never say that I'm, I'm well-versed in them, but I appreciate them, and at this point have been able to see a spectrum, you know, from light to heavy. And anywhere in between, uh, a Netflix horror movie viewer maybe yeah is, casual yeah because netflix has everything from something like the terrifier to i don't know the conjuring which is the most christian and <laughs> least uh invasive horror movie there is i would say even though it is a very good movie um but netflix does a good job of kind of capturing all of those um but so anyway so with with hereditary which is what we're talking about today first let's talk about its internet presence so hereditary has a 7.3 imdb rating which is quite high 89 percent on rotten tomatoes wow. um it was directed by ari aster uh alex wolf plays peter Gab gabriel byrne plays steve tony collette plays annie and millie shapiro plays charlie now something i didn't know about this movie is that it's actually quite successful so it had a budget of about 10 million it opened to 13 million in the United States and went on to gross worldwide 80 million dollars. All of those numbers surprise me, honestly. From what I know of scary movies is that they usually don't do very well in in ratings. Like an 89 in Rotten Tomatoes is is surprising to me. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think it deserves it, but I, I it just doesn't seem like the norm. Yeah, I think that is so there's a couple movies I think that broke through. Conjuring is obviously one of them. It was really critically well received. Um, Get Out recently, um, also very well received. And even uh, some of the other stuff that A24, which is the publishing company behind Hereditary, um, It That Comes at Night, and one of the other precursors oh. to this sort of art house horror, which is interesting, is uh, The Witch. Um so these these movies i think were building on critics radar and you're right i mean definitely in the 80s and 90s it was a schlocky genre for schlocky people these these, these are not movies that are generally well received because they're seen to be pulp and that is what they are limited to before we get to actually discussing the in-depth parts of hereditary uh, first, I have to give a spoiler warning. We will be talking about spoilers at all point in the podcast. If you go pat past this point and complain about spoilers, fuck off. Second, this is an R-rated podcast about R-rated movies, so expect some violent language, say. Third, Alex, what is your overall feeling on Hereditary? Give me a rundown. My overall feeling... It was a it was a cocktail of emotions, I'd say. I mean, it's a, it was a lot for me personally. It was a lot, and not 
too much, I'll say, but it was it was the right amount of just of good overwhelming horror at, at like movie. Like I mean it was it was really effective. I, I have I immediately had a lot of respect for the movie. Um I was very uneasy at many points, and I think the crescendo as the movie built, it, it did a good job of bringing me to deliver me at the end um, on some some stable but but scary ground. Um, so I'm a big fan. I, I'm definitely I can't say biased, but I approve of so many of the things that the movie did. Uh, definitely tweaks and, and things maybe it could be improved, I suppose, but overall big fan. I would definitely recommend to the people who could stomach it. I mean, it's it is uh it's disturbing i mean there, I, don't it's think disturbing. I don't think there's any other word for it i mean between the writing the cinematography i mean this movie shoots for so much and like you said it doesn't necessarily always land its mark but when it does i mean you're just your jaws on the ground and you lean forward in your seat and you put down your phone for a second because what the fuck was that what did i just see yeah yeah i'll put it this way i i played tennis with a friend a, a very good friend um the day after and i was explaining about this movie um because it was my friday night and he asked me what happened and we were in a public place and i just couldn't tell him about the movie <laughs> i was like I'll, i don't know i'll tell you later i certainly the mark of a of at least a serviceable horror movie is you look around and you go i can't talk about that here uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe maybe that's the more putrid offerings, but but certainly a, a mark of a decent horror movie. Um, and the, so, what surprised me about this movie is how tightly wound the genres were. I mean, so we had obviously horror. It it expresses itself as a horror movie almost immediately with creepy music and creepy words on the screen, which is almost a, a trope of horror movies like they begin the exposition before you even really ever want it but then it delves into family drama and at some point i think a discerning viewer might question what they're watching until you really don't question it anymore i think that's a good way to put it and i i actually thought about this shortly after i finished watching it too in in that the family drama it's almost one foot in front of the other and it uses that family drama as kind of a break between some of the creepiest aspects in, in especially in the beginning in the middle of the movie not as like a recess from the horror but as a, a change of focus but it's still so uncomfortable that it it still builds towards the same direction um, which was really well done I thought yeah I mean definitely agreed and I think the script writing, and as I said earlier, the cinematography really helps there. But now that we're talking about the in-depth guts of the movie, I have some IMDb reviews for us to review. Ooh. Um, one was, so I, I didn't choose like the 10 out of 10s, um, and I didn't choose like the 0 out of 10s, because those are like... The schlocky people. Right, <laughs> a little too easy. So the first one's uh, 7 out of 10 uh, by the user Miss Simonetta. And she says that she loved the first 100 minutes of Hereditary, but that the twist at the end is such a conventional letdown, it felt so, so boilerplate, something you get from The Conjuring. How do you feel about that particular 
analysis of the movie? Well, I think it's valid. I think it's valid in that the ending does go down a path that is definitely not new. I I don't know if it's breaking ground in terms of that aspect. That being said, though, I think one, the way that it, that it did it was just masterfully done and we can get into the details. um, But I think I, I would, I would pose to her, you know, what, what did you think it was going to in the first hundred minutes? Cause it, it's, it's not giving away so much that you know what's coming. And so I don't know what, what the expectation was, I suppose. I, I'd love to learn more about what she thought was coming. Cause right. I thought, yeah, not shocking, but still very well done. I also don't know as if you could call it a twist. Um, the movie was at a certain point, quite outright about its, Mytholo- uh, you know, pseudo-Christianity uh, mythological trappings, right? Um, it made no bones, what, 60 minutes through the movie? Or I would even argue 30, 40 minutes if you actually watch closely um, that something different is going on here, right? I mean, I just, I don't think I'll qualify the end as a twist. Is that is that a word you would use to describe the end? It's not what I would use. I, I would allow someone else to use it, but twist is a bit strong. Yeah, I agree. Otherwise, I think it's, uh, like you said, it's, it's nuanced enough where we can listen to Miss Simonetta. Um, now, this other one, I believe, was a, uh, was a 2 out of 10. Oh. Uh, this is by the Intellectual Space CA. So I assume that's California, but maybe that's my American trappings. We'll also learn as we do more of these, that we're not going to be entirely sure if these are English speakers here. Mm. So the title for this review is Those Who Have Overrated This Over Must Be Naive to Horror Genre. I Can Understand, dot, dot, dot. Strong intro. My emotions, this is this is the review now. My emotions range from utter disgust to extreme anger. Exclamation point! The movie is not only gross, but also lacks storyline. Also lacks storyline. Period. The acting iOS overrated too. Exclamation point! After Get Out, one word. Another so-called horror flick that wasted my time. Dot 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 dot. Four dots. Not a true ellipses this time. I'm glad that we take the time to go into the grammar. I do also <laughs> appreciate the variety of of you know wherever anyone's coming from to post their reviews. Yeah, so <laughs> these are the sort of reviews which I think, while fun, are, are fun to talk about. Um, you can also get the sense that this person's kind of missing the the point. Um, also, referencing Get Out <laughs> on another so-called horror flick that wasted my time, not a good look. Yeah, I mean, when you start out with your name being, what was it, the... The intellectual. Intellectual, that's... I mean, you got you got big shoes to fill at that point. Yeah, it's it's a hard look. I mean, and especially, you know, if Get Out didn't horrify you, you're probably not who it was trying to horrify. I would have to guess. Yeah. Um, I mean, that said though, he or she is not completely wrong. I mean, it is it's a grody film at times. Like there are moments that, whew, 
oh, oh, for sure. And I can, I can definitely see a moment where hereditary just, you just say, I like, why am I watching this? Why do I want to do this? I'm uncomfortable. I don't want to be sitting in my seat. I don't want to look at, you know, <laughs> my wife, my significant other. Like, I can't do this right now. I'm not doing it. Um, which is fair. I think that's a fair emotion, but I think that's also part of the stew that makes hereditary such an effective movie. Yeah, I, I guess what I'm struggling with is trying to decide if this person just really, it's just not their cup of tea and that they were expecting something else and and if that's a justifiable expectation or if the movie just did its job very well and the person was uncomfortable to the point where they just didn't, they did not, they were not okay with it. Because, uh, I, yeah, I went on my phone a couple times and yeah. I think just to get away. Yeah, oh, for sure. I mean, I... The first time I watched the movie, I paused it at about the 40-minute mark, which is, you know exactly which point in the movie that is. Um, we'll talk about that later. Um, and I don't know, like the 100-minute mark when I realized it was two hours long and I was reaching the climax of the movie. Yeah. You know, the, at those two points, you're just like at max uncomfortableness. And somehow the movie has two, it has two like climaxes, really. Um, one of them coming in the first act, you know, and then the other with no denouement whatsoever uh, in the third act, um, which is an interesting way to construct a horror movie. And I would argue, like, um, might be essential to one of our main categories, which is The Quiet Place and what makes a good horror movie. But we'll, we'll I guess we'll talk about that more once we get to The Quiet Place. Um all right, so do you have any other last-minute thoughts before we dig into the categories? No, I'm ready. All right, so the way this is going to break down, this being the first time, is we have several categories we're going to talk about. Um, three of them belong to a personal idea of mine and what makes an effective horror movie. An effective horror movie needs not have all three of these things. But it should certainly have at least two. If it has only one, the movie is likely flawed in such a way where it is no longer a horror movie, in my opinion. So as we break down these things, we will always try to fulfill all three. That being said, we sometimes may decide that, that one of the categories does not actually function on the basis that we like. Which is okay. But it's part of why we're talking about horror movies, what they do to us. So... The first category, I think, is actually very difficult in this movie, and I would accept multiple answers from you. So this category is The Thing. What are you scared of in this movie, Alex? That's a good question, and I think it might be hard to answer on this. <clears throat> well, the, there are so many subjects. So why don't I start out by throwing, let's say, I'll, I'll, th I'll throw three things at you to be scared of. And you tell me which one may ring true, or maybe you get another answer. So first, the naked people. You know, actually, that wasn't <laughs> the first thing that came to mind, but but yeah, they uh, dude, they're yeah, horrifying. They're they, really scary. They <laughs> they have what I think is actually the the scariest moment of the movie, um, which is this awfully shot scene in the attic of the house and we're in deep spoiler territory now we are so far into the climax at this point that the movie's over um 
So Peter has just run away from his obviously possessed mother. They are in the attic. His, he runs into the attic for whatever, you know, God knows reason, which we know has a dead, had a dead body, severed head of his grandmother in there, right? And his mother is banging on the attic door, except you see she's just like floating on the ceiling and banging her head up against it, which is terrifying in its own right. Great shot, though. Really oh, amazing shot. shot. And then, so it goes away, and Peter's like, okay, maybe she's gone. <laughs> maybe it's fine now. <laughs> maybe it's okay. And meanwhile, throughout this entire sequence, we've been seeing naked people in the background with these awful, awful smiles and just like old man dong all over the place. And then he hears a sawing sound. He looks up, and Tony Collette, his mother... Annie is sawing her head off with a, I can only assume is piano wire where she got it and how fast she got it. We don't know, but that's okay. But what always amazes me about this scene, and I think he's correct because all we can do is look in awe of Tony Collette sawing her own head off with piano wire. Like it's disturbing, but I don't know if I'd categorize it as the thing I'm scared of, but then he looks over and there's three naked people in the corner of the room, and that is what makes him scream to jump out the window, which is pretty much my feelings on the scene as well. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's a good synopsis. And and actually, you kind of jogged my memory, and I would say it was before he ran to the attic, when he's still down in the living room, and they have that shot from low up high, and you can mm -hmm. see his mom up in the rafters. Yeah, great, great, great staging here, by the way, of the climactic possession. They do this twice, and it's effective both times. Well, in that scene, over you know the right side of the camera, they have uh, they have another old man. They they pan to the right, yeah. and they they have some weird closet door open up. That was the moment actually where the naked people got me the the worst. That yeah, was no, that's fair. Um, <clears throat> so now that we talked about the naked people, um, the another thing that we can be scared of is Annie Tony Collette, his mother. Um, as she, we never see a sane Annie, right? We only ever see insane Annie. From the moment we see her, she is this mess, this aggrieved, apathetic, and disturbed mess from right from the get go in the movie. And it only, it only gets worse from there. Um, she makes decisions that are baffling, but you feel are driven by a sense of insanity. And she even, there's even a very effective scene in, um, in a grief clinic, right? Where she talks about her fear yeah. of being insane. Um, and from there, I mean, it just crescendos over the entire movie and it's, it's really well done. Um, <clears throat> and I would, I would say that this is another thing that the movie does well is building her insanity and making her a character to be scared of, even though you're pretty confident that she's not what you need to be scared of. Yeah, that's a more good analysis. And I think what's interesting about her character, honestly, I'm still digesting the movie, to be honest. Mm -hmm. There's just, there's a lot going on. But what's interesting about her character is that you're right. It's rare that I think of her character as someone to be scared of. When she's possessed, obviously, She's possessed, and that's, you know, oh, the, that's scary. Oh, the throat grumble during the seance? Ugh. Oh, yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Um, but 
the way that they the way that they manage to to escalate that insanity changes it change it seems to come on and off very quickly and so one of the things that i was thinking about and this is a slight tangent is just that i'm sure other people will disagree with this but assuming that all of the people in the movie are, are sane, give or take, mostly the father and the son, um, there aren't many decisions where you just slap your head. I feel like in a lot of horror movies, there's someone sane doing something really, really dumb. Running into the attic, like we just talked about, a little bit dumb. But other than that, I mean, nothing, nothing that engaged with the horror in a way that was just really dumb. Right, there is no light bulb that takes you out of your suspension of disbelief. You're like, wait, hold on here, um, <clears throat> which we are treading upon our another category, but we'll talk about that later. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I think you're correct. Um, Whereas the mother's insanity is a little bit different. I, I almost give her a pass for that mm-hmm. because she is. Um, and I finally, I've, I've come up with my answer. I know you have your three suggestions, but this is my answer specifically the clicking noise from the daughter oh, that that oh, was scary you're, that tread, was scary you're treading on answer. option three here we go is that your third option my, my third part. option is um charlie herself and here's why so charlie is actually so this is going to be trending uh, this is going to be treading a little bit on our on our category later which is hashtag trending but charlie yes tre- charlie is I think that you have the, the clicking noise. I think you are correct. That is what is scary, what we are scared of, um, which is amazing. I mean, can you imagine a sound effect being what sets off the it's time to be scared moment like in your brain? I mean, yeah, not even, a, not even a song, not a music, like not, not a full voice even, just one noise. You know, just, just a... And that's it. That's it, and you're scared. Um, <clears throat> okay, so you're you're gonna go with Charlie's Charlie's clicking sound. Yeah, and and the last reason for it is because when she's dead and they're being possessed, they're not being possessed by a demon in her body. It's her noise. That's her click. That is her personality. So like it's. To me, I interpret that as that is her. That's not like a demon who is using her body. That's that's so deeply ingrained in who someone is to have a tick like that. That uh, I I don't know what's going on with Charlie, but yeah, yeah, oh, fan- I pick her. Fantastic choice. Um, I'm gonna go with the naked people, but that is that I I don't I really think there are a you know, and it wouldn't surprise me if someone had like three different other things. You know, um, I think that's a great thing about this movie is there's so much to be scared of that you just, you know, because some people are legitimately terrified by just the supernatural activity itself, right? Mm -hmm. So someone might find, you know, the movement of the glass being scary, um, which, by the way, I don't have, I want to talk about uh, the sound editing really quickly in this movie. So think back to the original seance, uh, Joan, I think is her name. Um, with, uh, her son. Now, do you remember she says, move it to the right if yes, move it to the left if no, right? So Mm -hmm. she says, is this blank? And you, you, you see the glass move to the right. The camera moves in on Tony Collette's face. And I'm sorry, I don't keep, I don't call her by her 
her character's name because Tony Collette is the one name that I picked up from this movie that because she was so good in it. Um, so it pans in on Tony Collette's face and you can kind of see her starting to unravel. Then she asks another question and you hear the glass move. You hear it, you don't necessarily see it. It's like on the periphery of the of the screen. And then she asks, "Are you in any pain?" And the glass never moves because Tony's face gets fluttered. So the spirit never answered the most important question in the sequence, electing instead to fuck with Tony Collette. Yeah. yeah. I mean that that's horrifying to think about, right? We were I think I'm glad you focused on that section because I, it's just one of so many that I think I had fallen by the wayside, but it's so potent because mm-hmm. as the glass is moving, you're right. The, the noise is holding one half of your brain and the visual is holding the other half. And you want so badly to know what's happening with the glass and slowly it becomes eclipsed by what's happening visually, but you're emotionally very divided and you can't, you can't quite come to terms with the fact that you're not getting all the information that you need because two such important things are happening. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it just cuts you right in half and you're right. He never answered. Um, And so the other thing I want to talk about is the fantastic writing in this movie real quick, because I didn't realize this, but when after Charlie has suffered the biggest, what the fuck moment I've had in recent movie viewing history for me, Joan asks Tony Collette, this is uh, before when they're at the clinic and Tony Collette was just like sitting outside, you know, what happened? And Tony Collette says, my daughter was killed. Not my daughter died. My daughter had an accident. My daughter was killed. Hmm. Yeah. Um, That's a good catch. I mean, that. It took me, I mean, I've watched this movie five, six times now, which you would think I'd be in an insane asylum. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, it's. I, it took me a while to, to catch it. And it's, I think it's just evidence of decent, if not great writing. Very thoughtful. I, I mean, I think it's deserving of more praise, but at the bare minimum, you got to give it the fact that it is very thoughtful. Absolutely. All right. So now that with a, with a little tangent... We are moving on to our second category, which is the scream. Which scene makes you actively scared? So this is different from the thing, which is what makes you scared. But which scene or moment in the movie sends your the blood to your head and makes you even maybe scream? Um, what, what are your thoughts on this category? Yeah, this one, again, because I think this is a pretty nuanced movie, it it's different than a lot of others that have, you know, one firework that makes the whole audience scream. There's so many that get a good jump for me again. It's in the last 20 or so minutes that that whole process. once we're, we're not leaving the house anymore. It used to be in the beginning of the movie there, you know, you'd go, she's at the store at one point, he goes to school at one point, they're at the party at one point. It becomes clear eventually that you're not leaving the house again. And it's when Peter's outside and he hears that click, that click noise. Mm-hmm. And, and then that, that for me is when it all kind of fell into place where 
it, like it's coming it's happening now and again it's because it was the click if it was you know someone's body being possessed that's one thing but it was more than someone's body being possessed that's that's a deep part of who charlie was that mm-hmm. was somehow still being manipulated and to me that that was it that was when i was the most scared i actually jumped at that point which is impressive because it was not a visual it was a pure auditory i i agree this is 100 percent where i was actually scared for i mean and i say actually scared in which it was like a sustained adrenaline dump um we're not talking and i don't actually think we're going to talk about this moment um so we should also touch upon the decapitation which <laughs> the first major one um where you undoubtedly went what the fuck because <laughs> that's what i the, did i the had high a visceral speed decapitation? yes i had a visceral reaction to this to this scene um and uh, you, honestly this is another one of these scenes that i think should actually be nominated for the scream um because of how integral and fucked up it is yeah, it, it made me jump. It, it was a moment where it's just, I, I got a lot of time left in this movie and it's pulling this shit on me this early. <laughs> yes, ex- and that is when you're, I think your body just enters stress mode at that point, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, you realize you got to buckle in. <laughs> and maybe that's what makes the following family drama so effective is that this movie has already teed you up to just be aggressively defensive. Yeah, it puts you on edge and... Uh, <laughs> very effectively very early on and it does not let go agreed so the third and final category is the quiet place which is going to be our most difficult category to suss out with any horror movie we are talking about and this is because in my opinion the quiet place is where you feel safe but you know are not and this is within the movie Right. So what at what point in the movie do you think or even think you should be safe, but you know it's totally not safe? Yeah, I, I have two answers. So the first um the first would be the school. Oh, good choice. Yeah. I think that for I think I was assuming that this would follow the track of a lot of movies where everything is in the house you know it's all associated and linked to the house and therefore if you're not in the house you you might get some spooky little things but you're not really in danger it'll remind you it's there but you're not in danger the school i mean so the really if you want to be accurate the first decapitation is the bird happens at the school yeah it's true yeah then you have peter when i forget what the order was but he uh of the when they're under the bleachers and he has a, a freak out oh, actually yeah. that moment that moment was was very poignant too when when he they're getting high into the bleachers and he just starts falling apart and the scene cuts out right as his friends are like what's wrong what's wrong and he says hold my hand just hold it and yeah. that's not something you often hear high school boys say to each other that is a moment of real distress um yeah and then, obviously, you know, his ultimate meltdown. So that would be my first choice. But I think a second choice, and for a different reason, and I almost feel silly saying it, but the treehouse manages to, for most of the movie, remain neutral. It's kind of a clean slate. People end up there sleeping, and so it's kind of an island. 
And I mean, you know where the movie ends, so there goes that. <laughs> yeah, um, two really, really good answers. Um, I actually didn't think about the treehouse, but that's a that's a fantastic answer. Um, given that you're right, we are introduced to the treehouse with Charlie sleeping in it. Her mother goes there to sleep when she's grieving. Um, I don't know as if there is any more a better definition of a quiet place than somewhere where people sleep and feel safe and then as we see at the end the the treehouse was definitely not where we should have been feeling safe no um several naked people and several decapitation decapitated heads decapitated bodies um very awful not safe place at the end of the movie so i actually i have another nomination and it's actually a very specific scene and it's actually two and a half minutes long before you find out it's not safe. Um, and I guess my, I'm intrigued. Ar- my argument, can you, give me a, can you give me a hint? Um, like, will I it guess is, it? It is, it is, uh, one of the most, it, it is like the, what should be the safest place where an American family interacts. Um, would it be the, the dinner table the that, dinner table that one scene. night yes so my argument is mostly based on the fact that we have not seen tony collette get viciously angry yet mm. um and for the most part dinner table scenes in horror movies are throwaway character building moments you have interesting yeah, so you have family relations being built at dinner tables. You have uh, the night after of a really scary night, tension relief at dinner tables. Um, so my argument is mostly the fact that it subverts a trope. Um, and the trope is that the dinner table is a safe place. Until it's not, and there's several movies that, you know, this goes against, but that's kind of, horror is, I think, more than other genres, more interested in subverting itself. Um, but in a, specifically, like a possession flick, or even like slasher movies, the dinner table should be a safe place. Um, and we learned it's not, quickly. I mean, we can see, you know, Tony Collette playing with her food, and Peter has a what I would argue is one of the softer moments in the movie, and he expresses concern for his mother and goes into a sequence that is more disturbing than most family fights I've watched on film, especially because it is basically bookended by her admitting that she tried to light her two children on fire with paint thinner while she was quote-unquote sleepwalking um which i don't know what kind of sleepwalking you've been involved in alex um but i i whew, that's that's a hard pill to swallow yeah i mean even if you are sleeping and you wake up and you learn that that's where your subconscious was taking you <laughs> right, I like I have, I have some major questions here right I, I got a bandwagon on that. That's a really good, a good answer. And I think two things that I got to add onto your argument is that one that, as you described, the soft moment was it tees you up to be crushed again because I think it's one of the first moment, first and only moments 
where there's hope of, okay, maybe we can get like a little reconciliation. Maybe things can improve here, which is pretty silly for an audience of this movie to, I bought in, they got me, they suckered me in. I, yep. I wanted it so badly. And then they, they crushed it. But then the second thing would be to even double down on how not safe the kitchen table was i mean i think it's later that night maybe the night after that they performed the seance it's right there on the, yeah on the on the kitchen table yeah um and that seance is uh going that oh all time all time bad decision seances just in general i think we can talk about if we we're talking about bad decisions in horror movies they generally begin and end with a seance <clears throat> generally good to steer clear <laughs> um, of the seance <laughs> So, uh, so we're in agreement, the, the, the dinner scene. Yeah, I think, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, actually you swayed me. I think, I think the school is a bit too big and the, the treehouse just, I don't know, seems too easy. I think, uh, the kitchen table scene is a good choice. Mm. Score one from me. I'm going to keep track of this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so our next category um, oh, so actually, before we move on to our next category, so how do you think this movie rates on the, let's say, our our trio of of categories? Is it effective? Does it, does the trio make the movie more effective? Are you in general agreement that this is an effective bar with which to gauge, you know, at least a decent horror movie? Let's see. What are, what are they in? The Quiet Place, The Scream, The Thing? Yes. I think, you know, I, I think the scream is actually really interesting. Yes, I think is the short answer, but there's a couple distinctions that I, I think are important to make. One, the scream is multifaceted because, as you said, there's kind of two. And this whole time, there's these two parallel story tracks of the family disputes and the family just fabric being ruptured. And that has its own scream moments. I mean, when Charlie gets killed, that's that's not a horror like spiritual type of demon moment that's just pure shit for the family type of moment mm -hmm. and then obviously you have all the rest of it so it hits that score double i think double check mark on that one um the quiet place i think is is really effective because of such a slow build-up i mean the house the house doesn't get scary right away it really takes its time i was more scared of the school than the house for a little while no for sure um i think the only one where it scores lower is the thing mm -hmm. and i think it manages to almost use that to its advantage because you just don't know i, I wasn't quite sure what i was scared of yet i just knew i was and the fact that I couldn't place it, the fact that it was so deep and still shrouded in the ether, worked pretty well for it. So uh, I think it scores well. And I, yeah, I think the, the trifecta is a good matrix. Yeah, I mean, so what I, I think you're correct in that I think the movie uses the lack of the thing to its advantage. With, if you were scared of just, you know, Demon King Paimon or just Charlie or just Annie. I think the movie would really lose its effectiveness, but the movie is assaulting you from all of these different angles, and each one of them are effective in their own right, and each one of them plays on a different fear, right? So mm -hmm. when you don't know where the scream, I guess, is going to come from, 
right? Because generally the scream comes from the thing. Although I guess in this movie, this might not be the case. Um, definitely could argue that. But you don't, you don't know where it's going to come from. And I think that just puts you on edge as a viewer. Especially if you buy into the movie and you let yourself be afraid of it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think they did a, a really good job. And, and it was moving. I mean, I was scared of Joan by the end. Joan, at first I was willing to believe that she was... Peter, just... I expel you! Peter, I expel you! That's, yeah. a, that's a horrifying moment because he's looking around and he's like, does no one else see this shit? Like, no one else hears yeah. this shit? Like, I'm outside. You fuckers are just eating your goddamn cheeseburger <laughs> milk. And there's this lady, she's telling me that she's expelling me. I, I also like how they made Peter become more and more bedraggled. Like, oh, by yeah. the end, his hair is just greasy, bags under his eyes. It just... Uh, yeah. Also, uh, another... So this is, I think, just excellent. Someone actually, someone actually mentioned this in one of the reviews I was reading. Um, and I actually had a count. So they had said that they didn't like Peter's casting because he looks so different from the family. And I think that is because at the end of the movie, we learn he was not meant to be a part of the family. I think it was a visual and stylistic choice that may not hit for some people because that's not what a family looks like. Because uh, I did remark upon it the first time I viewed it. I was like, wow, Peter just doesn't look like he could be any child of Tony Collette's. Um, but I, I actually would argue that this was, knowing who Ari Aster is, um, and while having watched multiple of his movies, I think this was an intentional choice. It didn't bother me. It didn't really, it didn't really come up. Um, on the topic, though, I think the, the acting was just just great all, mm -hmm. all around i think the acting was the casting and the acting was phenomenal yeah you really can't as a director i think i don't know if you could can you squeeze more just hysteria out of a single actress than ari Aster got out of tony collette i don't know I'll, I'll put it this way i was so uncomfortable that i think i was clutching at straws to focus on things i started analyzing the movie out of just self-defense yeah and one of the first things i thought about was how great the acting was and then I started looking for holes in the acting, again, out of pure defense, <laughs> and uh, really couldn't find any. It was just, of the four, actually, sidebar, I mean, if we have time, of the four family members, who do you, I think you're biased to Tony Collette, but I'm going to ask anyway, who are you most impressed with, with their acting role? Um, so yeah, so I definitely think the award goes to Tony Collette, but I want to give a shout out to my man, Steve Byrne, um, who sometimes you know, couldn't maintain his American accent, but that was fine. Cause if he was actually an Irish national who had moved to, you know, the United States, that would happen. But he was, he, he played the role of the father who's just trying to keep his shit together. So well, very believable. Yeah, I agree. He was, he was so believable at being reasonable and frustrated and trying his best. He seemed like a level headed, just good guy that you wanted you wanted to win, yeah. Yeah, and not to be burnt alive. Not to be, not to be burnt. And, and and I'm sure there are many stupid decisions in the movie, and I'm I'm sure in the comments I'll get roasted for it, but so be it. But that was a great decision by him. He was about to throw the book in there, and he finally drew the line, finally drew the boundary. I was so happy then. I knew it was over still, but mm -hmm. that, that was that was a good moment. 
Yeah, no, I actually don't have any of his decisions in our Drew Barrymore award. So good on you, Steve Byrne. Um, <laughs> so, all right, so next category is hashtag trending. In other words, which horror trope do you think works? And I, again, have another, I have a whole theory on this, but uh, I'll let you go first. Ooh. Let's see. I think. So I'm going to start broad and I'm then I'm, I'm going to narrow in. I'm a sucker for the paranormal. And mm. so I think Same. this did an, an, an interesting job of, again, I'm not the most well-versed in, in all of the expectations and cliches and tropes. So I might be miscalibrated, but I think the way that they handled the, the tangible elements that build up the aura of this particular paranormal was maybe not necessary, but I think they wanted to do it. And I think they did a good job at it. So for example, the little, the little icon that keeps showing up in places, I couldn't really figure out what it was. It's a symbol of the great King Paimon. Yeah. Yeah. The the little three man symbol. Um, I think I was weirdly fine with it. I part of me felt like I shouldn't be and that it was a big a big target to kind of shoot arrows at, but I weirdly enjoyed it. I was happy to have maybe it was because it was the only tangible thing mm-hmm. of the entire paranormal activity aspect of this. It was the only thing that I was aware of anyway when first watching it, the common thread through the whole thing. So I'm a sucker for the paranormal, specifically the little motifs that they used, like that one. Um, the recurring decapitations was Oof, a, a bit a bit more heavy handed than, than, than the simple little symbol. Look, but... I will never look at a pair of scissors and a pigeon the same way. Oof, no, no. <laughs> so, yeah, broadly, the paranormal Just activity, I, I'm a fan of. Munching Specifically... on a Hershey's bar, and I'm going to go outside, and I'm going to get a dead bird <laughs> that crashed into my window. I'm going to steal some scissors from the teacher's desk, and I'm going to chop this goddamn bird head off while munching away at some candy. Yeah, the fact that she decided that, it was premeditated. She had to steal scissors. It was as soon as Bird made contact. She looked like, at the scissors head. immediately. Yeah, what's that about? <laughs> uh, so that brings me to my theory on this movie. Which horror trope do I think works? Little girls are scary. Oh, so That's a good one. This trope not only works, but within the movie, it is subverted, inverted, and confirmed all in one go. So, oh, you're so right. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So, we are told that Charlie is fucking scary. The Ari Aster, this bastard, uses, you know, uh, Millie, uh, what's her name? Um, Millie Shapiro, who, you know, has the, the hair lip birthmark, right? Um, and shoots her and i assume puts makeup on her in such a way she just looks bedraggled and she isn't possessed yet that we know of but she just she's unsettling and then he confirms it he tells us that there's something wrong with this girl with the aforementioned scene where she chops off a pigeon's head and you're like okay 
the fuck i'm ready for this we're in for a for little girls are scary movie i love these these are great um and then in a baffling series of events which we're going to talk about later she gets her head fucking decapitated by a pole with the great king paimon symbol on it and she's I gone. Like the pole had the symbol on it. Yes, that's... yes, it did. So that's yeah. So we're gonna talk about that later too. But I don't she, know how I feel about she gets her, she gets her fucking head just taken right off. Um, her jaws ripped off, as we see later, covered in fucking ants. Um, why is that still there? Uh, but anyway, <laughs> <laughs> like, why? How long does that head sit there for it to be? <sighs> anyway. So we are then told, this signals, no, no, this movie is not about Charlie, right? This movie is not about Charlie at all. This was, uh, this was a red herring, right? And it goes on to explain uh, in pretty good, not fantastic detail, but this is okay with me, um, that uh, her grandmother was trying to bring King Paimon, one of the 13 kings of hell, onto Earth. And you're like, oh, so it's King Paimon. Right, he just doesn't like female bodies. Charlie was meant to have it, so you're told, you know, again, you're just they double down. They want to invert it. You know, Charlie was definitely red herring. Instead, is this King Paimon dude? But then, in the final sequence of events, not only do we hear her clicks multiple times, but Joan nakedly calls uh, Peter Charlie. And then she tells Charlie that Charlie is King Paimon. But the movie never lets us know whether Charlie's actually King Paimon. For all we know, Charlie was actually just the possessing force because she was just really fucking weird. So we have this movie that tells us Charlie's not what we're supposed to be afraid of, even though all of our relationships with possession movies in specific have to do with being afraid of female possessed characters, specifically the greatest one of all time, the exorcist, which has us afraid of a 12 year old girl. Um, so everything in our body is yelling at us, telling us to be afraid of Charlie. Then the movie tells us in no uncertain terms, don't be afraid of Charlie. And then it says, no, you need to be really, really afraid of Charlie. All right. Well, I have a couple things. One, just brilliant. Yeah, you're, you're. I think you're right. Two, just a fact check. I think there were eight kings of the underworld. It was the eight kings. I know. I'm so used to thirteen. Or maybe he was the eighth. Eight, eight. He's the eighth king of thirteen. Um, Irrelevant. Three, <laughs> Irrelevant currently. <laughs> three. I. I'm gonna take a half step back on my use of the little weird symbol thing because mm-hmm. I forgot that it was on the telephone pole, and that's a little like the lost TV show. I don't know. It just just a little too much for. It's you. one thing that I didn't. It's fine, but I don't know. Um, but four, and this is the important one. Um, the other thing that they do with Charlie, though, and and I think the the latter half once they say you should be scared of her and then they say don't and then they say absolutely do the thing that was layered on top of that for me that made it even more complicated emotionally was that at one point i think it was maybe joan at one point there's the explanation that the spirit is going to just take the whatever the weakest source whatever the weakest host is but it prefers a male host i think was it like prefers in the a male host yeah and so that comes out around the time um 
when the father gets burned a little bit before that. Yeah, yeah. Just, which like, was interesting. Yeah. Because then you realize, like, okay, so the father was technically the stronger host here, not shocking, but that that's how I read that. But also what it says to me is that, you know, poor little girl, yeah, she was weird, but, like, she didn't have satanic tendencies. She just happened to be the weakest host there, mm-hmm. which after, you know, coupling that with, the, like, the... I feel bad for her, but at the same time, now she is a, a demon child. It was a whole other level complexity mm-hmm. on that, continuing the disturbing pattern. Yeah, so <clears throat> I think I, I think this is actually what the movie does most brilliantly and why it ultimately works. Um, and it actually, again, took me four or five views to really figure this out. Because... Um, there is something about our conscious, the, the collective, maybe American consciousness, because you don't really see it so much in like, uh, I haven't seen too many like Spanish horror movies. I have seen some Mexican movies, which are very interested in little girls are scary. But, um, you know, like Korean movies, I haven't seen too many little girls are scary. Like J- the Japanese have a lot of little girls are scary. Um, so I just, I find this particular trip to be fascinating. And anytime a movie can do it smartly, I'm very interested in it. Yeah, I think well said. I was Now that you've explained it, I'm just impressed that they also made me feel bad for her. There was remorse as well once I realized that she was, she was taken. 100%. I mean, there's even the, the, the shot of the photo of the grandmother like having gold coins tossed at her. I mean, this all... Um, so this is we're building actually towards my end argument, which we'll get to at the end. Um, so this next category is hashtag canceled. Which horror trope does not work for you? I think I know your answer on this one. Uh, for me, the use of animals was it almost. I mean. I'm, okay, let me let me rephrase. The use of animals was not a failure, uh, but it almost felt obligatory. And mm. I'm conflicted because I do think that they were effective, but like the ants, effective. But it seemed almost like a like an easy shot. The right. bird, effective, but was it necessary? Absolutely not. Um, could have easily done it with a doll and just been. Could have easily done it with a doll. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, the one thing though that has stuck with me weirdly is let me ask this uh, let's see actually does this family own a dog i don't know where that dog came from I've where never, did the dog I, I, I have no clue where that dog came from i actually thought of this as i watched it again it's like i've never seen that dog before that <laughs> dog has one and a half seconds of screen time max and yet i have thought of it multiple times mm-hmm. so i'd say uh like the the animal the animal trope for me um, seemed right. it was still fine, but I don't know if it was necessary. Um, I really thought you were going to go with the use of iconography again to like tell us things are being controlled. The king. I didn't have symbol. the will to go 180 degrees on myself. So. <laughs> um, all right, so I actually find that this is one of those rare movies where it's difficult to find one of these. It's really like oh, um. One that stuck out to me, and we've actually talked about this off the podcast, but I have issues with information dumps, right? Um, I think they're largely not effective in horror movies. I think they make things less scary when there is a 
explanation, I'm not as I, I'm not as scared. That's just all there is to it. Um, that's probably that might be a personal thing. Like a lot of people like to know why things are happening. I'm not a why person. I'm more like what like what's the effect on me. Um. However, this actually kind of contradicts with my trending thing. But at the end, I don't know if you noticed, uh, Joan's explanation is a voiceover. It is not her actual whatever she's saying in the scene where she's explaining to Peter what's going on. I don't know if we needed the explanation. The only reason that this was a good addition to the or okay addition to the movie is because she explicitly calls Peter Charlie and not just King Paimon. You mean in the last scene? Yes, the very last scene. It's a voiceover and it's set to be very much louder than everything else. Um personally, I probably would have been much more okay with it if there was nothing there. I think that would have been scarier to me. But for my purposes, it also aids my argument on little girls are scary. So I don't know how to feel about it at the end of the day. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> uh, so this, so yeah, so I, I think that your answer actually is the correct one. The use of animals is trite and not really needed, didn't really need to be used in a movie so effective in other areas. And and to be clear, I, I still think they added to the movie, but yes. it it felt obligatory. Yeah, so the, I mean, this this category doesn't have to be a, you know, doesn't have to be actively makes the movie worse. It could be something that because we're talking about tropes. Tropes are tropes for a reason. Um, trope isn't a negative word when you're analyzing a movie, right? It's just a useful way to find commonalities between how things work in any piece of art, right? yeah um so i think that we should also probably define that and just make sure that everyone understands where we're coming from but our uh second to last award is the drew barrymore award for the worst decision a character makes i narrowed it down to three although i think there are many many awards <laughs> that could be handed out for this so I think my number one is Annie holding a fucking seance. We talked about this earlier. You don't you don't hold a seance for your dead children. Just don't do it. Just don't do it. Nothing good can come of trying to contact your children who are dead and who also had a hobby of cutting things heads off. Just doesn't work. Not 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 for me. Number two, Peter smoking pot at a high school party that he knows his little sister is at. Not a good choice. Um, just just awful decision-making. Or number three, Annie making Charlie go to a high school party with Peter where she knows people will be drinking alcohol. Yeah, okay. Let me, let me layer on top there. So I'm going to defend my original argument by saying that there were... There, I want to clarify something. <laughs> when I said that there were no stupid decisions... I did not mean these ones. These ones, I think, are like real-world adult decisions that were poor. They were yes. not, hey, guys, there's a cave where every thurs Thursday there's screams coming out of them. Why <laughs> don't we go, go there on the full moon and see what happens? <laughs> so, <laughs> so this, is, this, I think, lends to the actual efficacy of the movie. These are decisions that are in-character bad decisions, but... 
we can you see a mother forcing her daughter to go to a high school party because she's just not quite all there yeah you can can you see a stressed out older brother smoking pot because he wants to get with some girl uh, yes absolutely and can you see someone trying to hold a seance to contact their dead daughter who they're much agreed yes you can yeah so here's my run through because i think those are good options one the mother contacting the dead daughter via seance again this is something i, I said earlier i think she's insane at this point mm-hmm. so yes the wrong decision she should have picked up on the signs from the seance with joan and i mean she was extremely uncomfortable so she probably should have realized that it was a big no-no i understand the desperation so i'm gonna keep that in the running the second one was it the order yeah so uh smoking pot at the party with with your younger sister there pretty bad decision yeah yeah um don't do drugs was bad decision a lot of tears but the, the third one is the one that I had been thinking of on my own before you actually said anything. Why would she make the daughter, like, it's a pretty thin, superficial type of justification to say, like, she needs to socialize. Like, as you say, when your daughter, do- don't get me wrong, I'm sure everyone loves their kids, but when your daughter is cutting off heads of birds and, like, doesn't want to go... And you know, you already said, you asked your son, are you going to be drinking? And based on that conversation, she knew that he, something was going to be happening. He, he's like, definitely going to be consuming intoxicants of some sort. Like, that was... The mom. He made it pretty knew. clear. <laughs> she knew. Yeah. The mom knew. And so she she really did set up for failure on that one. So that was my original answer. I was going to go with that one. Yeah. Um, so just... Um... Just a, so a, a, what I think actually makes that decision a little more believable, you have to look at the framing of the scenes. So just before this, she was at the grief clinic talking about the fear of her entire family being insane. Um, and she had also had a pretty harrowing discussion with her daughter, you know, who's going to protect me? And then her daughter's like, no, after you're dead. Um, so you put all of these things together and I think she was just afraid that, and especially, I mean, like granted, like she's an artist, right? So she might have some, some different opinions, but she also sees the art that her daughter is making. Like this can't, this can't go unseen, right? Like you have to be aware as a parent, especially of a 12 year old, 11 year old daughter of what your daughter is making for art. It's all over her room. Like you go into her room, you see it. She's cutting the heads off of random things and putting on stick men. So I think, and I, this is, this is a very hollow justification, but I think underlying this is we're supposed to read the subtext as that is that she doesn't want her daughter to actually be insane and she wants her to go be normal. I would agree with that. Yeah, I, I think you can definitely connect the dots for her. Um, that being said, uh, definitely the worst decision. I don't know why you would do that. <laughs> I The seance, again, I think the seance is just more justifiable. Peter smoking pot, like, he's a 16, 17-year-old male. I could see that happening like nine times out of ten. Like, if you told me this happened today to someone, I'd be like, all right, yeah, that's 
Yeah. You know, Joan, I couldn't believe it, but Peter was at a party with his sister and got caught smoking pot. Like, that's... The that's, devil's weed? <laughs> the devil's the devil's weed. And that's something you might hear in everyday conversation. So, that is fine. But I think you're right. It's Annie making Charlie go to the party. It's baffling i would add one i would add one corollary though and i feel bad to do this to the to the poor father what was it steve was that his name right? steve yes yes steve and i'm only gonna say this because he proved that he had a line and his line was when his wife asked him to throw a book that was connected to I don't know, somebody's soul into the fire that's where your line is the seance isn't the line <laughs> right i, I feel right. like when when your wife says we need to do a seance in the middle of the night I feel like that should have been his line. And I I don't think that this necessarily falls into the category because it's not an active decision. It was a passive non-decision. But man, if if he had if he had pulled the trigger there, could have been avoided. Know, could have been avoided. Could have been avoided, but yeah. yeah. I guess again, so, be... so you can make the argument uh after this scene he is seen emailing Dr. somebody, right? Mm-hmm, and he's like, mm-hmm. "I think Annie's lost her mind." Basically, so he was he was on the move. He was you there, know, just so wasn't speak, quite he just, fast he enough. He just wasn't quite fast enough, and he ends up getting torched, um, literally. Literally. Um, all right, so our final category is the Patrick Wilson Award. Um, do you know who Patrick Wilson is? You know, I must admit I do not. Yeah, Patrick Wilson is the man. He's, he's known as uh, the Scream King. So he's the main character in the in the conjuring um uh insidious he's basically if there's like a sort of milk toast white dude <laughs> he's he's it and he's the hero um and okay. he, in all of his movies he generally wins so he plays a bad guy in one that i know of um but yeah he generally wins um so i guess if you're winning you're probably making the 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 correct decisions um, but so this is the, the best decision award. Um, so I, my answer to this, um, is actually what you just mentioned, which Steve is on the move to just throw Annie out and call her insane. He's, I mean, he's doing it until he gets burned alive. He's sleeping on the couch. I mean, he's doing all those things that, you know, like a older married couple, would do um and his instincts are definitely correct that something's fucky and needs to stop and so your decision is that the ultimate contacting of the yeah the ultimate contacting of the doctor and he tells he tell i mean well especially in this before he gets burned he also witnesses the decapitated head of her mother upstairs covered in flies and that was the oof what is that smell <laughs> the entire like half of the movie and he's like bitch we done in his in his words in his uh gentle gentle father words or in your words things are too quote-unquote too fucky right fucky. now yes too fucky right now we're done yeah <clears throat> Let's see. I'm I'm trying to think of any contender because I think that is because he's the only character in a role of sanity and authority. Yes. You know, the Peter is 
I think we can say sane. Well, Peter, but he has really no authority. Peter can't be possessed until he sees his mother hacking her own head off and then sees three naked people in the corner and jumps out a window. He cannot be possessed until that moment. That is the... Look, if that isn't the pinnacle of how sane you are, I don't know what <laughs> is. Because the moment I saw my mother like chasing me and a naked person in the corner the first time, I'm out. I'm done. Whatever, man. See ya. Which... I, props to him honestly like obviously it's you know it's fiction but still jumping out of the window i was i was gripped i was mm-hmm. i was so all right is there is there another good decision in the entire movie oh actually i'm sorry i have to backtrack maybe not the worst decision but the decision the decision i disagreed with the most was after the first decapitation the the telephone pole decapitation he didn't say anything. He just went to bed. He just laid in bed waiting for it it to come to fruition and for everyone else to wake up. Like that's the wrong decision. Alright, so I have I have I have two corollaries to this. The first is you see the size of that bong. <laughs> yeah, I saw the size of the bong. Second, when was the last time you had anything a one thousandth of a as traumatizing as your sister being decapitated while you were high. I spilled a lot of coffee on my brand new computer about yeah. a year ago. That while you were high. Was, okay. All right. Well, no, it was not. All right. Point taken. Point taken. I just don't. I, know. Get... <laughs> I just think combined with the THC and dude, that rip was massive. He was taking in. Do you see it? I mean. It, it was it was, <sighs> it was whew. Oh, it's just so upsetting I mean, you're <laughs> not wrong but just uh anyway to get back to your i i can't think of one I, I think you're probably right that probably is the best decision made in the movie as we said before would have been great if it was made you know a couple days prior but yeah um all right so now before we end with our final category. I would like to pose a question to you. With everything that you know about the movie, and maybe you'll need a second or third watching to really be able to answer this. Did this family have any free will? Or was everything controlled by the cult of Paimon? Wow. Wow. I'm gonna need I'm gonna need just one hot second for that. So while you're thinking, let's lay down some evidence. <clears throat> in every major occurrence, the symbol of Paimon is to be had. In before most major scenes, um, the cult of Paimon is seen in some form of fashion. Before Charlie is decapitated, she sees one of the cults, which I think is Joan, across the street after she's done chopping the head off of a pigeon. Um, before you, all of um annie's interactions before she makes bad decisions happens with joan um it should be noted that joan spoke or saw her at the very least in the grief clinic before she sent her daughter out to party with peter um joan also speaks with her before she has the cataclysmically bad interaction with peter at the dinner table 
I believe, um, if I'm remembering this correctly. And during the entire movie, there's just... There's sometimes just like a character in the background that you question who's there. Um, And also, there's also the horrifying scene, and it's so fast, blink and you'll miss it. Um, There are naked people in the woods right before the final scene. Um, Yeah. So... All of this is framed by the cult of Paimon, and their symbol is seen everywhere. Um, and which makes you think the only reason that Steve dies is because he was maybe the only person not being controlled by the cult of Paimon. Play it this way then. Charlie, no, no free will. Tony Collette, because we're only referring to her as Tony Collette. Yes, and Tony Collette. Uh, probably no. Probably, I'm sure the argument could be made that she does, but if she did, it, it evaporated as soon as she went to the seance. Mm-hmm. Steve, I think yes. I mean, Steve is the only one that I think there is for sure evidence, at least off the top of my head, that he is going against the current. I mean, he. We've already talked about it, so I won't go over it now. I think Peter is the only really questionable one. And I'm trying to think of a good example. So <clears throat> when Peter is at the school right before everything really goes wrong, um, right after he is, he's, he's being told that, you know, Peter, I expel you. Do you remember there's a scene, he's walking down the hall and you see what you assume is a principal, but then the principal starts smiling very weirdly and beckons to him. And then the scene cuts. Do you remember that? Whoa. No, I, I have to say I don't. It's a small scene because he's like walking down the hallway and he just looks horrified and confused and disturbed. Um, <clears throat> and I, I've been trying to figure out who this figure is and I just don't know. Like, again, it looks like to me someone official, like they've got a suit on, you know, and they just beckon to him smiling and it's very bizarre. Um, so, you know if the cult is in the school, I mean, how close are they? You know? Um, Yeah. I mean, this is basically academic as I think there's only circumstantial evidence at best for this argument, but, but I think it's there. That's interesting. I mean, I, I'd say my response then to not to open up a whole nother can of worms, but I mean, is, is free will binary or a spectrum and let's go with binary. I think Colette, in, in horror movies, it's binary. In real life, yeah. it's a spectrum. The first, the, the, the two, the daughter and the mother, no. Or at least the mother, definitely not after the seance. Steve will say yes. I think his free will is what got him killed. Peter is interesting because I think he was waffling for a long time. Um, however, because there's a, I mean, there's friction. If he had no free will, then, you know, it would have been easy. He's running through the house. He's running away. Um, he's screaming at his mom at the dinner table about things. There is that scene in the school where, you know, right before he smashes his face a bunch of times. Mm -hmm. But what's interesting is that I'll answer your question with another question. What happens right after the credits start rolling? Because he's up there in that room and he's obviously overwhelmed. He's obviously can't comprehend what's happening. And in this moment of what could be awe 
or what could be just pure nerve-numbing horror, he's turning around, turning around, turning around, and then the credits roll. Oh, he's possessed, right? I mean, you see the, the little Well, I don't flash. know if we know that. Well, we see the little flash of light, which has been following him, you know, once or twice through the movie. We watch this flash of light possess Tony Collette, and that's when she expresses supernatural powers to hang up in a corner after this light flash of light. And then it floats down on him, and then he makes Charlie's noise. Does he click at the yes, end? he clicks at the end, yes. Wow, I don't know if I caught that. Yeah, he clicks at the end. So I think wow. he's 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 been possessed by Charlie, and I don't hmm. think that it's a question, actually. Interesting, because by the end of it, when the credits rolled, which, very upbeat music for the credits, which, thank mm. you for whoever made that decision. I needed the credit <laughs> music. Um, I was at the moment where, I, like, you knew he it was going to happen, but he hadn't really acted. There was no... There was no Peter under demonic control action yet. Right, so right. I was holding out. But to answer your question then, I think for a time he did, uh, but it was, it was pretty weak and, and ultimately, you know, overran him. As for the exact moment, I think the moment in the school where he put his hand up in, in the position oh. of, I mean, that was, that was obviously a, wonderful. Whatever they did to accent his body acting was great. But great body acting there. That was... Contortion. It was, oh. oof, will look painful. Hmm. Great question, though. I, yeah, I mean, Steve's the only one to death who had, who had any free will, I'd say, under that. All right. So with that, Alex, what would you rate this movie out of four severed heads? Well... I mean, there are four, there are four decapitations, right? I, I I believe I counted correctly. Yes. Yeah. You know, quite a few. I'd say <laughs> I'd say it earned every single one of those four decapitations. And part of me wants to be hard nosed and and you know give it three decapitations and a jaw or something. But honestly, and this isn't common for me, I'm gonna give it all four. It mm. it really surpassed my expectations even with all the the talking up i did of this movie it, wow even with the you know talking up also known as warnings or <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah when, it really when, did when my talking up of a movie consists of truly and deeply fucked as a descriptor <laughs> of a movie i guess yeah <laughs> i don't know as if that's a you're right a warning or a recommendation um yeah for, I don't have many friends who will watch these with me, so I got to watch this alone. That was a treat. And one of the first things I did was texted uh, this group of friends and said, I prohibit anyone of you from watching this movie because they just, <laughs> they would not do well with this movie. <laughs> love it. I love it. Well, anyway, thank you, Alex. This has been a lot of fun. Um, I hope we do more of these, and I plan on doing more of these. I can't wait to manipulate your viewing experience. Um, I want to contrast this with another movie. I haven't decided yet, but I hope you're as excited as I am. I'm very excited. Can't wait. Just let me know when, and I will subject my my trauma center to to whatever you make me watch. All right. You got it. Thanks, man. All right. Thank you.